Guys, grab a seat. Thanks for being here tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up or turn them on to Psalm 55. That's where we're going to be spending our time tonight is in Psalm 55 as we continue in this series, No Hard Feelings. And so if this is your first time with us, what we're doing in this series is we're going through the book of Psalms, looking at how we can worship God through the hard feelings that we face. The first week we came together and talked about this idea that we usually separate our emotions, our negative emotions from our worship. And so we learn to, or we try to worship God despite what's happening in our life. And so the whole point of this series is to worship God, not in spite of our emotions, but instead in light of them. And so we talked about discouragement and we talked about how we worship God through our discouragement by embracing what's real about us, but then also embracing what's real about God. The idea that he has this unfailing love that obviously never fails. And then last week we talked about confusion and we talked about how we worship without the answer when we value God more than the question. And so tonight we're gonna jump into Psalm 55 and we're going to look at how we can worship God through our fear. And so with Halloween just being here, when we think about fear, what usually comes to our mind is being scared, right? The feeling that we have when we go to a haunted house or the feeling that we have when we saw the new Halloween movie with Michael Myers right, this, this fear of this idea of being scared, being frightened. And although, yes, that does fall under the umbrella of fear that we're talking about tonight, we have to realize in order to really get what we're discussing tonight that fear is so much bigger than that. Fear is so much bigger than just the feeling that we have when somebody's chasing us or the feeling that we have when we see a scary movie. Instead, fear is really something that we have anytime we're in an uneasy situation and we're just uncertain how things are gonna play out. I mean, just think about how true that is, right? We're, we become afraid when we're uncertain that we studied the right material for that test tomorrow, right? <laughs> but you're here tonight, so that's encouraging. Uh, <laughs> or, right, we become afraid when we're uncertain how our parents are gonna respond to that decision we made. Or we become afraid when we're uncertain who that person we're dating is texting so late at night, right? In all those different scenarios, right, we have a fear, right? They're all a little bit different, but they all fall under this umbrella of fear because in all those situations, we're afraid because of some uncertain thing that's happening. And so that's the understanding or really the definition, if you will, of fear that we're working with tonight. Fear is the result of uncertainty, So that's what we mean when we say fear, that fear is the result of uncertainty. So when we have these uncertain times in our lives and we're uneasy about it, then we have this fear that's going on in our lives. And so because that, it can become difficult for us to worship God as we wrestle with this this emotion, this hard feeling of fear. And so earlier this year, I actually experienced the most fearful moment that I have ever experienced in my life. And it took place the day that my youngest son, Titus, was born. Now, if you were with us in the spring, you remember that I'm, well, you remember I talked about, we were uncertain about some things that were happening in Titus's life when my wife was still pregnant with him. And so we had some concerns about his health because one of the ultrasounds we did discovered that he had something in his stomach and, and we weren't sure what it was. Thankfully, we found out a couple of days before he was born that it was nothing. Nothing to concern about, just something that was going on in his stomach. And so that was really nice. 
But what I'm talking about is something different than that. What I'm talking about is something that took place when we were in the hospital after he was born that had me fearing for my son's life. So the, the delivery and labor process for Titus was so smooth. I mean, everything just went like clockwork. We have an older son, Ezra. His was very smooth. Titus's was the same way. And I remember just being so eager and ready for Titus to be born. Because again, of all the concerns that we had with him where he was um, still in my, in my wife's stomach. And I remember as a dad, as all of that was happening, I just wanted just so bad to just hold my boy. And so bad as everything was going on and we weren't sure what was happening, I wanted to take my son in my arms and I wanted to hold him and I wanted to say, Daddy's here, Daddy's got you. But for obvious reasons, I couldn't unless I wanted to make my pregnant wife feel really awkward in that moment. And so I couldn't do it. And so when he was born, I'll never forget the feeling of the first time that I held him. And the first time I held this boy of mine, and even though he has no idea what's happening and no idea what we've gone through to wait for him, I looked down at him and I said those words. Daddy's here. Daddy's got you. And in that moment, I was finally able to do what dads are supposed to do. I was there to protect my son and to comfort my son. And I won't ever forget that amazing feeling. It was so fulfilling to have that feeling in that moment after wanting to do it for so long. As so you can imagine, we were so relieved when we finally had our son Titus and he was here and he was with us and everything seemed to be going so well. And so they moved us out of the labor and delivery room and they took us to the postpartum room which is where the baby, the mom, and the dad hang out for a couple days. If you've ever visited someone in the hospital, that's where they were. And so we get there, and, and we notice something strange is happening to Titus, something that didn't happen with our son Ezra when he was born. We notice that he starts coughing, but when he's coughing, he starts to choke on something, which is obviously not normal and obviously not good. And so we ask the nurse, like, what's going on? Like, what's happening here? And she told us that whenever there's a really fast delivery, that a baby can get some mucus stuck in his, his lungs. And so what was happening is that he was spitting up this mucus and he was choking on it, which obviously is scary because we can't control that, right? It's not something coming in. It's something that's coming up that's causing him to choke. And so the nurse, who's, again, an expert at this, showed us what we need to do when this happens. And we take him, and we flip him over on his back, and we grab him by his neck, and we just start banging on his back. And she made it look so easy, and it definitely was not, right? <laughs> because even though I have two sons, I'm still extremely awkward with newborns. I mean, I just feel like they're, like, so fragile, and that I'm accidentally going to handle them wrong, and then all their limbs are going to fall off. You know, it's like, like just, it's, I get so uncomfortable doing that. And so I was clearly out of my comfort zone when this nurse wanted me to take my son, flip him like a pancake, right, get an awkward hold on his neck, and then hit him on a back like he's a friend I haven't seen in 10 years. I mean... I mean, it was just, it was so awkward and so weird and so uncomfortable for me, but I was alone in this because my wife had just done something, bringing a living being into this world. So clearly she was out of commission. And so as all of this is happening, this falls on me. Like when he starts to choke, it's my job to save him. And so the nurse leaves and he, he every couple of minutes he would do this. He would start coughing and then he would start choking 
And I'm just, I'm struggling so hard, right? I mean, this is happening over and over again. And I am not certain what I'm doing. I'm just trying to get him there and I'm trying to hit him on his back and trying to get all this mucus off out of his throat. And, and I'm doing it and he's, he's getting cleared up, but I'm struggling. And each time this happens, I just get more and more afraid. I get afraid that there's gonna be one time that I try to do this and it's not gonna work. As we're sitting there in that room, eventually my greatest fear became a reality. Because he starts to choke and so I start to flip him over and I start to hit him on his back and I start to get it out of him. And he just kept choking and choking and choking. And I have no idea how to stop this. And I won't ever forget how helpless I felt in that moment. As my son was in my arms struggling to breathe. And it was my job to do something about it and I couldn't. I mean, as his dad, right, it was my job to protect him. It was my job to comfort him. And for so long, I wanted to take my son and I wanted to hold him in his, my arms and say that I care about you and I want to protect you and I've got you. And in that moment, I didn't have him. Even though he's sitting there in my hands, I don't have him and I have no idea what to do and I have no idea how this situation is gonna end. I'm just trying to do whatever I can to keep my son from choking to death. And so in complete desperation, I grab him and I put him over my shoulders and I look at my wife in a complete panic and I said, call the nurse. And eventually they run in from the other room to save Titus. And I don't remember exactly what happened if, if he somehow stopped before they got there or if they got there and got him to stop. It was so much going on, but... And I was so shaken up after that, so shaken up that I did the only thing I knew to do in that situation to try to take some kind of control of what was happening. And I told the nurse, take, this, take Titus and can you, can you bring him to the nursery and can you guys watch him until something happens, until this goes away? Because I knew I couldn't do what I wanted to do in that moment. And so they take him away and he's there for probably 30, 45 minutes. Eventually they bring him back and he's better, but he still hasn't stopped. And so the whole night I'm sleeping on edge. I'm just ready to pop up, right? Ready to do something whenever I hear him cough, hoping this time if it happens, I can stop it. And for weeks, if not months, anytime he was with us, when he was starting to cough, even though they told us the mucus is gone, he's fine, it's not gonna choke on it anymore, even though after all that time, for weeks, if not months, whenever I would hear my son cough, the fear of what took place in that hospital room would come all over me. It would consume me. And I'll start to be afraid, if he, what if he starts choking again? And what if I can't stop it? And as I sat there at my house, I knew if that took place, this time there wasn't a nurse in the other room who could rush in and save him. And what made that situation so horrible and what made it so fearful was the little control I had over that situation, wasn't it? I mean, not only could I not 
keep my son from choking, but also when he started to do it, I couldn't help him. I mean, I was struggling even to get him to stop doing that. And so in that moment, I had such little control over what was happening, and it was paralyzing. It was so hard, and it was so difficult. And see, that's what makes fear so extreme and why it makes it so hard for us to walk through. Because the less control we have, the more afraid we are. The less control we have, the more afraid we are. And so when we find ourselves in situations that we don't have control, we feel helpless and we feel powerless because we're uncertain how things are gonna play out. And we don't like that. We don't like that we can't control what's gonna be on that test. We don't like it that we can't control how our parents are gonna respond to what we did, right? And we don't like it that we can't control who our boyfriend or girlfriend texts, especially when we're thinking they might be texting somebody we don't want them to. And so that's what makes fear so hard is the helplessness and the powerlessness that we face in this situation. Because the less control we have, the more afraid we are. And so as we jump into Psalm 55 tonight, what we're gonna see is that David is in a fearful situation. He's in a situation where he's experiencing this hard feeling in his life. And we don't know a whole lot about the context of what's happening, but based upon the Psalm, what we know is that a former friend of David, somebody that David used to be close to, for some reason is wanting to take David's life. And so as David sits here and he writes this worship song to God, uncertain about how things are going to play out, this is what he says. So let's begin reading in Psalm 55, begin with verse 1. David says, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me. And I'm distraught because of what my enemy is saying. Because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. And so as David writes this song to God, as he begins this psalm, he is just pouring out his heart to God, begging God to listen to him. Insisting that God does not ignore him as he walks through this fearful situation. And I love what David does here because he uses this hard feeling to be real with God, what we've seen all throughout the series. And so he just tells God what he's facing. He's like, God, I'm distraught. I'm distraught because this former friend of mine is trying to take my life. And because of that, my mind is filled with these troubling thoughts all the time. And troubling thoughts like, what if this person finds me? What if this is it? Or what if I never get to see my family again? And I'm sure David is wrestling with these what if questions because that's what we do when we find ourselves in a situation where we're afraid, right? We play the what if game all the time when we're uncertain how things are gonna play out. You know, what if my parents don't believe it was an accident? And what if that person never trusts me again? Or what if I didn't study hard enough for that test? I mean, we find ourselves constantly wrestling with these questions. In fact, what if questions usually haunt us 
when we face fear. And so because of that, we get, we get troubling thoughts. So we get how David feels in this situation. We understand what he's going through. But man, David's not done pouring out his heart to God. In fact, in these next two verses, he really demonstrates how he feels to God in the middle of this situation. Look at verse four and five with me. David says, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. And David is painting a vivid picture of what he's going through in this song to God, isn't he? He's talking about in his heart, he is bleeding with pain. The thought of death absolutely terrifies David. And the horrifying realities of what could take place if this guy catches up to David and finds him is absolutely overwhelming to him. And so as David is writing this psalm to God, he is scared out of his mind. David is choking on his fear. And he has no idea if someone's going to come in from the other room and save him. And I think the reason that this is so emotional for David, right? The reason that this situation is so intense for him is because David has such little control over what's happening. I mean, this guy wants to take David's life. So the ball isn't in David's court. It's in this guy's. I mean, he's the one who's pursuing David. He's the one who's trying to end him. David has such little control over this situation. And so what we see happening is that fear is controlling David because David has such little control over what's causing his fear. So in this moment, he's crying out to God. In this moment, he is freaking out because if the less control we have means the more afraid we are, then David is absolutely terrified. So he's freaking out. He's scared out of his mind because he's uncertain how things are gonna play out in this situation. And the emotions that David is experiencing, right? The hard feeling that he is wrestling with here, we know this all too well, don't we? Because hopefully none of us have been in this situation before where someone's trying to kill us, especially a former friend of ours, but we all know the emotions, the hard feelings that he's facing right here. Because we've all been in situations where we're afraid because we're not certain how things are gonna play out. Right? We've all been in situations where we have little control over what's causing our fear. So instead we're allowing our fear to control us. So we get this, right? We understand how David feels here. And when we find ourselves in these types of situations, what we try to do is we try to ease our fear by gaining some kind of control. Right, to try to get the ball back into our court. And one way that we try to do this is that we try to carry conditions over in our conversation with God. Right, we try to carry these conditions when we talk to God the way that David hears in the psalm or does in the psalm. So let me explain what I mean by that, right? Because that's probably a little bit unclear. Let me explain what I mean by that by talking about first how we do that in our relationships with each other and then apply it to how we do that in our relationship with God. 
Like, is this strategy of, of carrying conditions over into conversations is something that we actually do all the time in our lives. And not just when we're afraid. In fact, we usually don't do it when we're afraid in relationship with each other. We usually do it when we find ourselves in a situation that we don't want to be in. So let's say you're dating somebody who absolutely loves Marvel movies. And so there's a new Marvel movie coming out, I'm sure sometime soon. And they tell you or ask you to go to this movie with them, right? And you've been a great, great, great boyfriend and girlfriend, right? Because you've seen the first 15 of these that they asked you to see. (laughs) So you've been a trooper. But at this point, you're ready to call it quits. Because for some reason, unknown to you, you still haven't seen Superman in any one of these movies. And at this point, you're too afraid to ask why. (laughs) And so because of that, you don't want to go. But you also don't want to break this person's heart. So when you have this conversation with them, what do you do? You carry a condition into it. And this is what you say. All right, I'll go see that movie with you if... I get to choose where we eat afterwards, right? Or I'll see that new Marvel movie with you if you go with me to go see the new Grinch movie that's coming out in December because who doesn't want to see that? And so what you're doing in that moment is you are carrying a condition over to that conversation. Why? Because you're trying to gain control because you don't want to see that movie. And so you feel like you're giving up control by going to that movie. And so you're trying to gain some of it back, right? You're trying to do something that you want to do by adding this condition. So instead of saying yes, you say yes if. And so this is your mindset. Your mindset is I will do something I don't want to do now if I get to do something I want to do later. And that's what I mean by carrying a condition over into a conversation And without even thinking, we find ourselves doing this exact same thing in our relationship with God. Especially when we're afraid. When we're in a situation where we have little control and we're uncertain how things are gonna end, we find ourselves saying to God, God, I will trust you with this class that I'm struggling in if you make sure I don't fail it. God, I will be content being single now if you make sure I get married before I turn 30. Or God, I will go and serve you overseas if you protect me and you cause nothing to happen to me while I'm there. And so what we're saying to God is that we will trust him with something that we don't really want to do now if we know that we're going to get something that we want later. And so we tell God, yes, if, instead of telling God, yes. And so what we end up doing is we end up doing a transaction with God, right? We end up saying, hey, if you do this, then I'll do my part, right? If you step then I'll take a step, right? I'll take a step of faith if I know you're gonna take one too. And what we find ourselves doing is in that moment, we're not truly trusting God, are we? Instead, we're just trying to get our fear to go away. We're trying to get our fear to go away and we're choosing to do this transaction with God so that it does. 
in an attempt to get our fear to leave, what we find ourselves doing is we trade trust for transactions. We try to bargain with God. Instead of truly trusting him for something that's happening in our lives, we try to bring up these conditions so that we can gain some kind of control so that in the moment we might be scared, we know that something better later is coming so then we can have a little bit of peace about what's happening now. But we're not truly trusting God, right? We might feel like we are, we might think that we are, but it's just a mask. Because we're trying to bring a condition to get rid of the fear instead of truly trusting God with the situation. And so we trade trust for transactions. And as David continues to write this song, as he continues to cry out to God when he's absolutely scared out of his mind, David shows us that we can't do that. We can't come to God with these conditions, right? We can't come to God with these qualifiers hoping that he does what we want him to do so that we get a little bit of peace about a situation that we're in. And as David writes the final two verses of the psalm, he tells us what we're supposed to do when we find ourselves choking on our fear. So let's read the last two verses together. David says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live half their days. And then watch what David says at the very end of this. But as for me, I will trust in you. So how David ends this psalm is what we have to do if we want to begin worshiping God through our fear. Because when David is freaking out because somebody's about to take his life, he tells God that he will trust him completely. That he will trust in a God who wants David to cast his cares on him. And that he will trust in a God who will sustain David when he dies. And that he would trust in a God who will never, never let the righteous be shaken. And so if we want to trust God in the midst of our fear, we have to do what David does here. We have to trust God completely without any conditions, right? Because David doesn't come to God and say, I would trust you here if you make sure that I live. Or I would trust you here if this thing plays out the way I want it to. No, David doesn't say that. David says, but as for me, I will trust in you, period. No attached string, no qualifier, no condition, no transaction. And even though David is freaking out because he doesn't know what's gonna happen, even though he is scared out of his mind because he has such little control over the situation, he chooses to trust God completely without any conditions. And when Jesus found himself in a situation where he had every reason to be choking on fear, and he had every reason 
to be freaking out because of what was about to happen in him. We see that David does what, or excuse me, that Jesus does what David does here. That he chooses to trust God, chooses to trust his father completely and give everything over to him, all control. without conditions. Because when Jesus was sitting in the garden of Gethsemane, right, and death wasn't just a possibility for him, but an absolute certainty, he cries out to God the way that David does here. As he sits there sweating blood because of what's about to take place and because of the hard feelings that are racing through his body. He tells God, if it is at all possible if there's any other way that this can play out differently, please, please, please make it happen. But then at the end of him crying out to God, he ends with the famous words, but not my will, but yours be done. He doesn't say, God, I will do this if you lessen the pain. Or God, I will do this if you promise to do something for me in return. No, he just says, God, your will be done. And so what we see taking place in that garden is that that's Jesus' version. But as for me, I will trust you. That even though he was about to experience the most painful and agonizing moment of his life, even though he was about to go to Calvary, and experience hell on a cross for us so that us sitting in this room who choose to follow him would never have to do that. And even though he could have called down angels from heaven and taken control of the situation and escaped what was happening, in that moment, Jesus chooses to trust his father completely without any conditions. No transactions, no qualifiers, no attached strings. And what Jesus teaches us in that moment is what true trust really looks like. Because Jesus shows us that true trust means trusting God with no conditions, even if you know it's gonna take you through hell. Because that's what Jesus did on the cross for us and for our salvation. And he shows us that true trust means that we trust God regardless of where God's gonna take us. Because we understand that our God wants us to cast our cares on him and that our God will sustain us when we do and that our God will never allow the righteous to be shaken. God always has your best interest in mind. And the cross is proof of that. So we can always trust him regardless of the fear that we face in our lives. That's what David teaches us here and that's what Jesus teaches us. What true trust looks like. It's not carrying conditions. It's not bringing in qualifiers. It's not saying, I will trust you with this if you do something for me later. Instead, it's coming to God as we are and trusting him completely. 
And so what Jesus and what David teach us is this amazing reality that true trust carries no conditions. And so if we want to worship God through our fear, if we want to find ourselves worshiping God in light of our fear instead of in spite of it, this is what we have to remember. That true trust carries no conditions. You see, we often think that the way that we cure fear is by gaining more control, right? That's why we try to do things to gain more control in our situations where we're afraid. But we don't cure, try, or we don't cure fear by gaining control. We cure fear by giving it and giving something over to God and allowing him to be God in our situation and to say as David does, but as for me, I will trust you. So that's how we worship through fear. We worship through fear by not gaining control, but giving it. And tonight, that's what I want us to do. And as we wrap up our time together, I want us to take time to worship God by giving our fear over to him and choosing to trust him completely without any conditions. And so that's what we're gonna do as we sing this next song. And so if you're struggling with something right now that you're afraid of, right, because it's uncertain and you don't really have control over it and you don't really know how things are gonna play out, my challenge to you tonight is to give that over to God. And my challenge for you tonight is to say, as David says, but as for me, I will trust you, or to say what Jesus says, but not my will, but yours be done. Stop trying to gain control over something that you have little control of in hopes that it would cause your fear to go away. Instead, come to God and give it to him. Trust him with it. And know that Jesus died on the cross so that you could. And so we're gonna sing a song called Trust. The song that literally says, Jesus, I will trust you. And my challenge for all of us in this room tonight is that we would sing that as those who really mean it. As those who have stopped trying to gain control of our situations by adding conditions in our conversations with God, but instead we realize that true trust carries no conditions and we choose to say, but as for me, I will trust you. And so let's do that tonight as we sing this song. Let's pray first. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you that you're a God that we can always trust regardless of the fear in our lives. Whether somebody is trying to take our lives or whether we're wrestling with a class or a decision or a relationship, God, anytime we find ourselves in situations where we're scared, where we're afraid, and we don't know what to do, God. In that moment, we can choose to trust in the God who is always in control. In that moment, we can choose not to allow fear to control us, but allow trust to consume our lives. And so my prayer, God, is that we would sing that to you right here, right now that Jesus, we would open up our hearts, that we would pour out our hearts the way that David does in this psalm in the midst of whatever is happening in our lives. And we will say firmly that we trust you 
And we know that you are God who has demonstrated that you are worthy of that. And maybe we do that right now, God, for our good, but most importantly, for your glory. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.